Hello and welcome to another episode. My name is Ross. And I'm Craig. And it's time to put the kettle on because it's tea time. Something about that slurp makes you want to have another cup, you know, another sip, doesn't it? It does. I bought myself some PG tips bags as well. I'm enjoying them. I haven't had PG in a while. I'm on the oat milk today. Oat milk. Not as good. Not as good as cashew. I'm going to be honest. No? Borderline, nah. I mean, the price difference would tell you that. Well, yeah. I mean, the only reason I bought oat milk was because I didn't have any cashew left on the, on the shop. But um, let's start with some news, shall we? Yeah, what's in today's news, Ross? Well, let me tell you, Craig. Um, First of all, The Sun is reporting that the Chancellor, um, Rishi Sunak, is considering a five pence per litre increase in fuel duty, which will end the near 10-year, decade-long freeze on fuel duty, uh, which will be no doubt unpopular, but it is another little win for the old electric powertrain. It is. And just one bit of caveat with that. I've heard a lot of people saying that tax increases are going to happen mm. and that good old Dishy Rishi is deciding which ones to pull out and ones to keep. So half of these things may not happen. Right. But the October statement, we'll find out. That's one for people to enjoy, look forward to. Um, plastic bags might now be, dub might be doubling in price. Uh, to 10 pence, so it says DEFRA. Um, apparently making them 5 pence led to supermarkets reporting a 95% drop in yes. plastic bag usage, and it removed billions of plastic bags from circulation. So, <laughs> hey, if you're going to spend 5p, why not make it 10? Yep. And just the thing with that news too, it's England only. Wales and Scotland are not on that train yet. Yeah, come on, catch up. Oh, we, we did the bag thing first, though. You oh. guys, you, you took three years to get the bags on. That's probably why we're trying to reclaim the properties that we could have got if we'd done it when you did it. Um, uh, in other news, uh, Amazon clearly can't be bothered to wait until Rivian has built a truck. So they have ordered 1,800 electric Merc vans for Europe. Nice. You know that you know they're invested in Rivian. Uh, I don't know. So, do you know who Rivian is? No. Rivian make electric trucks, but they're a startup, so they've not really ever not although they've got a model that you can see they're not in in production. Um, Amazon then invested loads of money in it. People partly thought that because of the feud between um, Elon Musk and um, Jeff Bezos. That he's like sort of like trying to compete because they like to compete. Um, so yeah, all that money went into Rivian, but not much has been heard from Rivian, really. Hmm. So, um, but they they obviously were looking to do that for their delivery trucks, but they're not waiting, uh, at least not for Europe anyway. They are going ahead with buying some Merc vans that are already available. Ah, okay. Bit slap in the face there. Well, a little bit. Like Amazon are absolutely loaded, and during the pandemic, I imagine they've doubled up. I mean, Jeff is obviously the richest person in the world by far. And yeah, why didn't they just buy Rivian rather than invest? I don't know. 
Um, in other news, which are, this is stupid news, to be honest, but I wanted to talk about because sometimes I like to highlight the stupid stuff. Um, so SEAT uh, has apparently enlisted kids to redesign EV chargers because apparently they're an eyesore. Okay. All right, Seat. What have you got? What's Seat got involved in this for? So they did, um, obviously, I fully support getting kids involved with any project, especially with EV technology. But what the hell, right? So they apparently did a survey of two thousand British divs. Sorry, I meant drivers. <laughs> and the older generation said that they didn't like the look of them. Ah. This is like the over 50s. Um, and so, Seat <laughs> thought they would tackle this problem. So they've got a bunch of kids to decorate them. And I'll show a picture there. Boom. Basically, what they've done is they've graffitied the little things. In, I don't know, I think in a way that people are going to think it's even worse than it was before, frankly. I don't want to have a go at the kids for bad artwork or anything, but it just looks like a bunch of doodles on an otherwise beautifully white structure. It's so I, I haven't seen this image, so yeah. people listening or people watching on YouTube, then people on YouTube obviously will see that, but I can already imagine what it's going to look like, kind of like those go slow signs that kids design, which makes sense because you want to go slow and not kill kids on the road. But... Sure. When you've got a bunch of boomers who don't like the look of EV chargers, probably the same people who don't like wind turbines, and now we can have kids, the opposite of them, design them. Yeah, I agree. Then no, going to like it even I less. Even, I haven't, I'm not quite sure what the ghost slow things are, but I'm not even sure it's that good. Imagine for those, for you, Craig, and for anyone on the podcast, imagine a fridge where you've put your kids' artwork on it. And that's what it looks like. It just looks like someone scribbled on it. So, yeah, well done, mm. Yeah, Good, good job. Excellent survey. Oh, and then <laughs> the survey in the survey said, if we made them look better, would they, would you like it? Ten percent said yes. Yeah, worthwhile project. Good job, Sia. <laughs> High five. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, why why Sia? What have they got to do with electric chargers? Do they not. even have electric cars in the market? Uh, I think they felt. I think they just felt left out, perhaps, and they felt like they should do something, and they weren't prepared to actually make <laughs> a car or something. So they thought they would tackle the EV. I don't know. I don't know, but it's like I don't even know how I made news, and I've made it worse by making it news for you. But it's just so stupid that I thought I'd talk about it. Um, uh, what news have you got, Greg? Uh, yeah, good news. Um, yeah, piece of news. Well, per the first piece of news is kind of more of a chat. Uh, anyone interested in this type of stuff has probably already seen it or at least watch the live stream of Elon Musk's demonstration of uh, Neuralink and mm. the brain stimulation technology and how it worked in a pig's head. Yes. So you watch this too on the live stream. It was fairly late on last Friday, 11 p.m. BST. Um, but yeah, honest opinion, very boring. <laughs> very boring. I was expecting more. I feel Elon has overhyped what this thing is. Did he hype it at all? Oh, he was. Yeah. Um, did you not listen to him on the Joe Rogan podcast talking about how you can stream stream music directly into your mind and how you can speak Mandarin by impacting oh, the synapses link? And you you say, "Hello, my name is Craig," and your lips will literally say it in Mandarin. I mean, he said a lot of stuff, and all they kind of showed 
was a thousand um, a thousand points on a pig's brain and how they could effectively make pig music out of sniffing. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, I agree that what they've done so far is mildly interesting at this point. Um, I don't think, he, in his defense, I don't think he ever said that we're capable of doing stuff now, but that's the future potential. The whole point of the, of the stream was a recruitment exercise. They quite clearly said that, but that yeah. is not they're doing it. It's to get people go, oh, that's interesting. Um, and then want to go and sign up to, to work. But, um, so yes, I don't think he ever claimed that it would be able to do that now. Fair enough. Um, I, I did think you would come to Elon's aid, and, and I, knew I did. I, I did actually go and have a look to see what jobs were available, right, and okay. it's quite disheartened to find that they're all available not in the UK and primarily in Fremont, California. Yeah. So they're very much localized. Yeah. Um, yeah so, no um, UK news. A long time ago now, there was a uh, a TED talk that I watched and i don't know if you remember we talked to you about this not on the podcast but um uh where they someone had made a t-shirt and they had little um like little uh buzzers basically little, t little tiny vibration um devices in the t-shirt and then they fed through data in, uh, into the into the array of buzzers on the back of the t-shirt and then so you could feel what that data was if you see what i mean so you couldn't see the data, you wouldn't have any, you just, but you'd have a, a, a physical feeling of what that was. And mm. what they're doing with Neuralink is kind of like the next level up from that, where they've, instead of, instead of finding a, a, a part of your body to send that input to, they are exploring what would have, will eventually be sending the same, sending signals directly into your brain. Yes. Yeah, I mean, definitely. He showed the possibility of read and write to the brain, which definitely very interesting. And the machine they used to do the actual surgery to implant over a thousand um, electrodes into various parts of the brain was amazing. Mm. And especially how it dodged all the blood vessels, capillaries, and you just don't bleed because it dodged everything and it checks them perfectly. Yeah, yeah amazing. Uh, he did joke about maybe he had one himself, and I think that would have been a very cool demo. He just took his wig off or something and like, bang, there it is. I started like fluidly speaking in Mandarin or something. Some, some language he doesn't know. He may already know Mandarin, I don't know. Um, or, if, or if the pig spoke French. I mean, that would have been amazing. <laughs> that would have been amazing, yeah. Uh, I think we definitely would have got um, funding if you managed that. Um, admittedly, if I was thinking about what they were going to do before they did it i was imagining that maybe someone had one of these things and they could control turning something on and off even that basic but yes obviously they hadn't put it into a human i should have realized that <laughs> they had just put it to big but um yeah admittedly having it so that it just essentially was picking up it was it was it said it's like picking up brain activity from the nose but it literally was picking up the fact that neurons were firing when sniffing that was that yeah. Was, so, while the pig was excited, basically, uh, I did seem to did seem to call it as he was sniffing food. Uh, what was the pig's name again? Gertrude, I think. Um, but yeah, it seemed like a really cool thing. Um, there was a really cool comment because uh, he opened up a live Q and A. Uh, my my question in that Q and A was, how do you charge this thing? Because it only has a one day battery life. 
I can't imagine plugging a USB-C into my head when I go to sleep. That kind of feels a bit weird. Do I take it out and put it on the side of my dressing table? Yeah. I don't know. If I'm using it for disability reasons, what happens then? Do I just collapse? <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, turn back into jelly or something? I have, I have no idea. There's lots and lots of questions. And I think their Q&A was also fairly weak. It didn't answer really hard-hitting questions. Like, there was lots of questions on what happens if this thing gets hacked? Like, you know, pacemakers can get hacked. Yeah. And there's not hitting enough for you. Yeah. There was a lot of there was a lot of stuff I think should have been covered. And I think a lot of guys at the panel, uh, they weren't very good at public speaking and they were very nervous, understandably so. But well, you know, Elon, of, uh, very good at public speaking, so you know. No, but you know, he, he somehow pulls it off. He's got, you know, the He's some got sort of a lot of fans in the room, so he says something remotely funny and everyone laughs and then it's all fine. Yeah. But there was a guy, one of the software engineering guys, and like, yeah, I don't know what he was talking about, but he went off on one talking about some and how he solved this problem. It's like, well, that wasn't the question. You know, stick to the question, fella. But uh, yeah, there's lots of questions I don't think were answered. You want to work with this guy? <laughs> Sign up today. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it was interesting, but yeah, not exactly. It didn't have the wow factor. It wasn't a, it wasn't a sign. I, no, I need, I need to see more. I mean, even if they showed us that, that robot putting the chip in the, the pig's you know, brain, if they were that confident, it's pretty safe. Chuck another one in Gertrude and find out. Do it, do it live. Yeah. I, oh, that, I, would, that, that would be amazing. I was wondering like, how many you would need to like, properly better read everything because presumably you can only read within a radius of, well, I thought from what I understood, you can only read within a radius of wherever the chip is. Uh Yes, I think what he showed was that it could be the actual electrode wires can be up to 20 centimeters, I think he said, and they can be injected. There's only a thousand of them, so a maximum of a thousand, 1,024, I think. Um, and that's, that's, that's its com uh, com capacity. But the second pig did have two of them in, so yeah. it had 2,000, but that wasn't demoed. That pig was kind of shown as this guy's got two in, and he was kind of like marched off stage. Like, <laughs> don't know. I mean, the, one of the good questions on Twitter was actually, um, could you show us the pile of pig bodies it took to get to this point? Because <laughs> <laughs> there must have been quite a lot of failure before this point, which is why the FDA has only now approved human trials. But human trials are underway soon. I would okay. like to see. Uh, that, but the next demo, I hope, is something really cool. That's right. I'm not sure how cool it can be but yeah blow our minds elon anyway uh literally <laughs> yeah uh my other piece of news is very uk focused and it's a completely different version of transport that, i mean i've never considered maybe you haven't either maybe no one has except um these guys who are a company based in bedford who've designed a hav which Basically, is an eco-friendly airship, you know, like a, like a zeppelin. Okay. Uh, and they're proposing this as a new mode of eco-friendly travel that isn't air, isn't rail, isn't cars. So you're going back to zeppelin times where you're kind of floating about, getting from A to B. And they've got a 1.6 million uh, funding boost to bring the zeppelin back to the skies. Interesting. How are they? So, how is this thing powered? Um, electric motors. 
so but basically i suppose it's i'm not sure what the gas is but is it whatever it is obviously it's very flammable but that keeps it buoyant enough to float and uh, it just takes a really low energy propulsion to move around i mean the big flammable gas up in a big balloon thing is usually what scares most people yeah isn't it was it the the Nurem, nuremberg the Nuremberg accident, where it kind of just exploded in the 30s. Nuremberg or Hindenburg? Yeah, one of them. Like, I always get that with like Nuremberg Anyway, whatever, it, whatever it's called. <laughs> um, that, that horrible accident that happened about 100 years ago. Yeah, which is generally what put people off, I think. Um, but then, mm. I guess in theory, well, I don't know, it's, maybe there is a way, it feels like there should be a way of uh, having a non-flammable gas in the thing and then using electric pumps and propellers or whatever to guide it around. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure in the actual um, specifications. I think they're just in the process of actually building this thing. Um, but it claims 90% fewer emissions than typical air travel, which I think is believable. Yeah. Uh, but it also it also reports you get it faster. Wow. Now that I'm not sure on. Surely you're not going to beat a jet. Maybe, maybe over short distance travels. Like, for example, Cardiff to Edinburgh, that's about a 40-minute plane ride because it's 20 minutes up, 20 minutes down. So only really 20 minutes across the country. Whereas a Zeppelin doesn't really go up and down so hard, I suppose. You can just get there in about 20 minutes. So arguably, short distances could be quicker. But I don't, I don't imagine going across the Pacific in this thing. No. Uh, but yeah, this is to be seen. And with this new funding, they are going to build the second generation of the airship. And it's expected by 2030. Right. Uh, in our skies by 2030. And will be entirely electric powered, missions free. And yeah, come into the sky near you soon. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to Google this after, after the show. <laughs> I mean, yeah, got a news article. Uh, definitely. Is it's it not actually it does yeah we'll put the picture up now picture here for the youtube guys uh, unfortunately for podcasts check the link in the show notes and you'll be able to see where it is really really cool um there's actually there's a full visual of the cabin too um there's lots of stuff here on the news article check it out all right uh next piece of news very very light is a new car manufacturer has entered the ev arena Surely not another one, Craig. Uh, we know it's not Seat because they're pissing about with the electric chargers. It's Skoda. Uh, yeah, so they brought in a Enqui. Enqui. E-N-Y-A-Q. Enqui. Enqui. Whatever. I mean, the fact I can't really say it properly is a problem. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> um, it's their new electric vehicle, and it comes in two battery capacities, 62 um, kilowatt hours and 82 kilowatt hours, so just different sizes. Yeah. And, yeah, they claim a range of roughly 240 miles, which kind of makes it all right, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, uh, that's good enough at that point. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's, that's the 62 kilowatt battery hour the 81 has a 316 miles Good. estimated range yeah so it kind of brings into a nice sort of um target market uh, it uses the ccs connector for fast charging so it's going with standards Good. and 
yeah, it comes with rear wheel drive, four drive variant. It's an SUV as well, which I think is very fashionable these days. Yeah, go the biggest market first. And it goes on sale next year. So, so, so who made this? Skoda. Skoda. Did we missed that part. Yeah, Skoda. Skoda's Enquay. Enquay. <laughs> well said. En en yeah, I, I don't know. They should just e n y a q en enquag enquay. I don't know. They should just get, they should just copy VW. Just call it the Skoda One or something. <laughs> yeah, Great. or just an e, e Skoda, Skoda E, whatever. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's coming next year. So if you can't wait for your Tesla, I mean Skoda's up there for you. Purported similar battery ranges. Yeah, but. Does it have over the air updates? Can you summon the car? Can I play games? Well, with it? Uh, well no, it's a Skoda. <laughs> Can it self drive? If, if you're lucky, it might have, might have a Bluetooth radio. <laughs> yeah, I might uh, stick as I am. Yeah, but I sleep Skoda long. I think uh, they're doing a good job of bringing the car to the market. And yeah, I mean, the list of Manufacturers who don't have an electric car must be pretty small now. You know, see, so yeah, they've, they've got something in the pipe. So, is so was this an announcement of we will we start producing them this in that point, or they will be actually this? This is launch, launching next year. They've uh, completely demoed it this week and they're saying this is what we're going to launch next year. This is our brand new car that's coming out for you to buy. Yeah, all right, cool. Well, I'll yeah. Look and my final piece of news is just a kind of tongue-in-cheek thing about the UK's best and worst places uh, to own an electric vehicle. Uh, I'm going to have to put... I, obviously, I'm, I live in Dorset and Somerset area, and that's a nightmare most of the time. Um, but I'm guessing we're not the worst. No. Um... I'll give you a clue. There's only 34 they've ranked. Uh, can you have a guess who number one is? Top, top of your head. Cornwall. Cornwall. Yeah, they're, they're not on the top or bottom. They're kind of in the middle somewhere. Um, Cornwall, though. Weird. Well, I just thought, no. you know, there isn't, there's lots of countryside <laughs> down there. They, I mean, if it's anything like Dorset, they can't be bothered. But, ah, well, the question was, which is the best? Oh, sorry. Definitely not. I was going for the worst for Cornwall. Uh, the best, I would probably say, is London. Uh, I would have thought London too, but London's number three. There are two cities better than London. Uh, well, let's go with Bristol or Cardiff then. Uh, Cardiff isn't there. Cardiff's actually quite poor. Bristol is eight. Um, number one is Milton Keynes. Really? Number two is Coventry. Okay. Uh, number four and five, just the top, uh, number three is London. Number four and five is Portsmouth and Nottingham. Yeah, never would have got them. Uh, not that I don't live anywhere near any of those, so um, I've not been to them. Today, but. I mean, Milton Keynes must be amazing. It must be the number one place. But uh, yeah, what would you say is the worst? I'll give you a clue. It's a Welsh city. And is isn't the one you mentioned. <laughs> is it there for... What's the other one? Um, Newport? Is that what I want to say? Swansea? Oh, which one are you going with? I'm, I'm, I'm 
uh, help you that Newport is also a city. There are three cities in Wales. <laughs> I'm go with Newport. Oh, should have stuck with Swansea. Uh, Swansea is the worst. I could have sworn I, I was I, I wasn't that far from Swansea when I recently, and I thought they had some, so I thought it was all right. I mean, they have some, like you know, I'm living pretend we have some super chargers with Tesla up on the services, but uh, yeah, no Swansea worst. Excellent. So yes, uh, that's all the news I have. What's, okay. What's today's chat? Today's chat, Craig, is about tiny houses. Hmm. Um, are you familiar with the concept? Um, I think I am. I don't know a great deal, but I, I know the rough sort of thing. Are we including like camper vans and stuff in what you class as a tiny house? Mm, well, no, technically. Yeah. Um, a tiny house is is mobile, but it's the, I think then the definition doesn't doesn't necessarily include camper vans because that's not it's permanent living whereas typically a camper van you only use temporarily you would typically live in it um, caravan standard caravan is in terms of the in terms of the floor space is in the in the region yes okay um, it's a mostly um a big movement very popular in the us and in australia in the uk very much still a new thing there isn't much going on around here, but there is, it is, it is definitely increasing. Um, so, uh, so I go back to what a tiny house is, as you'd expect, it's a, it's a fully fleshed house. It's, it's your lounge, it's a kitchen, it's a bedroom, it's a bathroom, it's everything. Uh, it's just that it's in a, in a much smaller space. Um, how small? Well, they can vary. Uh, obviously there's, there is a sort of defined range um, and it's anything between about 12 and 36 square meters, um, which mm. looked like you were trying to work that out. So if, um, to help you imagine it, the smallest would be basically the size of the average UK car parking space. Say like a shipping container. Shipping containers um, are s bigger, usually. Than that, but, um, yeah. So the smaller one is about the cut size of a car parking space, and then the larger ones would be equivalent to the size of either three parking spaces. Three car parking spaces. <laughs> yeah, three or, or or a caravan or a um, as you say a shipping container. That's sort of, that sort of size. Um, so, uh, and yeah, so that's that. That's what a tiny house physically is. Um, but uh, if you ask Wikipedia to sort of explain the, the movement of it. Um, it's a movement that prov promotes financial prudence, economically safe, shared community experiences, and you'll like this one, Craig, a shift in consumerism-driven mindsets. Mm. Away from, you know, so what, less space, less things. Exactly. Um, so why might you want to live in one? Um, well, so Tony, Tony Holmes? What's a Tony Holmes? We'll come back to that. It's maybe just a week next week. Is that not, not a blog? <laughs> it's a, just a tiny home living by Tony. Um, anyway, uh, it tends to be about sustainable living, getting rid of possessions, living simpler, getting back to nature, reasons like that. But um, there are also some other basic benefits that are attracting more people to the movement. And the most obvious one is price. Yeah. So um, the 
average home in the UK costs about £260,000. Maybe not the average in the Wales, but the average in the whole of the UK. I was going to say, if you exclude London, I bet that number comes on a lot. Yeah, probably. Um, but it's, yeah, so let's say it's a tiny, um, so there's a company called Tiny Eco Homes um, UK, they're based in the north, um, and they create already pre-built ones for as little as £26,000. That's pretty cool. Right, so um, if you look at it this way, it's, it's brilliant. It's an, the cost of the whole home is the same price as you would put as a deposit for an average size home. If you have a 10% deposit on your £200,000 house, with that deposit, you could just go buy a tiny house. Um, so, yeah. Uh, that's... Basically, it's a complete paradigm shift to a different way of us developing our lives to the point of owning your mm. own house. Um, so if you're young and you're, so your plan might be to work for a few years, build up some savings for a deposit, and then spend the next 35 years paying off that mortgage. So find a flat for, in my case, I, I bought one for um, 180,000, I think the first flat I got was, obviously not in London. Um, and I uh, put 10% deposit down and then I got a quite comfortable monthly payment so I could, you know, be sure I could do it. Um, but then over the full term of that mortgage, because the way mortgage works, you end up spending something like 300 or something, up to 300,000, yeah. 250, 300 for the, depending on how long the mortgage was and what interest rate you got and stuff. But that is, you can easily spend an extra 100,000 pounds trying to pay off your house over the course of the lifetime. Um, or, as I said, you can take the same deposit, same monthly payment on a much, much smaller loan, and you can pay that house off within a few years. Um, and the other thing is, when you're, I know from, I haven't lived anywhere for longer than about three years, I think. <laughs> Every, I, I, I keep moving around. And I've, I've always, I always always had an issue with buying, uh, whenever, trying to buy properties, I was always worried that, you know, is this really the house I want to live in forever? You know, because mm. I'm expecting circumstances to change. Um, and obviously, if you're young, you're thinking, you know, I'm going to settle down with someone, I'm going to have children, I, I might want to move somewhere for work or whatever. And you can't, it's difficult to imagine yourself buying a house in a place, staying there. Um, so this kind of like, potentially sort of changes all that. Um, so instead of needing to know what your life's going to be like in three to five years, in three to five years, you would have paid off the house. And then you have a house that you can either sell on. Currently, the market for, well, there isn't a market at the moment for um, used <laughs> tiny houses as it's only just got to the UK. But in theory, there might be other people that would be interested in buying your house, or you could just take it with you. Or you could potentially extend it, depending on what sort of house you got. And then um, you know, make a bigger house. Uh, but it's kind of a yeah, it's a it's a complete paradigm shift of how you deal with it. So there's a question there. If we move to the next point, um, I find it very appealing. I would I would love to live in something like this. Maybe invest in some land and just live on the land with a small tiny house. Yeah. Uh, 
my, my issue has always been how is it seen, especially maybe from the UK perspective, as an investment. Um, cars are classed as depreciating assets. You'll never get your money back. Houses are appreciating assets, so you can get your money back even more. Yeah. A tiny house kind of fits in between a house and a car. Does it depreciate or does it appreciate? Do we, where do we get your money back? Well, the truth is we don't really know because the market doesn't exist at this moment in time. But um, I, would, I would put it in the de- depreciation category, personally, mm-hmm. because it's not... Uh, I think the, the appreciation element more comes from the land than it does necessarily the house itself. Okay, that's fair, yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, I've, I've described the scenario for the young person starting out, but, um, I was trying to think, well, you know, that's, I would like to do this. You said you would like to do this. Uh, other people I know would like to do this and they're, you know, we're not talking people who have just left school and that sort of stuff. So, you know, does it work for people who are a bit older or, or, you know, different stages of their life? Um, so maybe you already have a child or whatever, maybe you're currently paying rent and you'd rather not be, uh, does it work then? So um, I was looking into that and first of all, unfortunately, a mortgage is very, very unlikely, very unlikely that anyone will give you a mortgage for thing for this. And that's largely down to the fact that when you buy a house, as we just talked about, you buy the land. So um, it's always connected to the land registry and that's how you get the mortgage because that's how they assess the value of, of the property. Can't do that if it's um, on a trailer or if it's just the actual building itself. So um, you, yeah, you probably won't get a mortgage from it. You probably could get um, a personal loan because it's mm. in that sort of about 25,000 area, which is usually the top end of, of what you can borrow from a bank. Um, so, and there are that company, Tiny Eco Homes UK, um, does work with a, a finance company called Pegasus Finance. Um, cool. They have a horrible rate of eight percent. So I probably would look around. But um, mm. but even if you took that option, you could be paying, say, six hundred fifty pounds a month, about four years, and you'd have it fully paid off for the for their basic level of house. A good way as well with the to go along with the fire movement is to uh, utilize credit cards because you can typically get a 20k allowance from a credit card quite easily because they kind of give them out and it'll be high stupid percentages but then you transfer them to zero percent cards all the time so eventually you'd be paying off on a zero percent APR. Uh, I know, like for example, Sainsbury's and Marks and Spencer's, they give you two to three years, 0% APR. Mm-hmm. And they're very good on the credit rankings. As long as you've got an average to good credit rating, yeah, 0% credit card could be a way to do this. Yeah, good idea, good idea. Um, so then I, was tr- then I was trying to think about whether, um, to go further than that, um, what, if you're, what if you're on universal credit? What if you're really stuck in that in that loop? Uh, is there a way of getting using a tiny house to get out of that situation? So I looked into that a little bit, and um, the the first major problem is that you cannot use universal credit to um, to cover a personal loan repayment. So that's the first 
issue. Um, okay. uh, so the would you would you even get a loan non universal credit? I assume you'd fail the criteria. You might well do, yeah. But it's yeah, there's no point doing it anyway because you wouldn't be able to. You'd have to pay it back some other way, which you wouldn't be able to do without saying that you're earning more. Except it's kind of a non-starter, really. But um, uh, the, the the basically then the cheapest way to to do that would be you can buy a house for twenty five thousand already made, or you can get a kit, and the kit costs about six and a half thousand. You have to build it yourself. You have to have to, you know, have the skills to do that. But in theory, if you could put together that level of of savings over time and to better buy that, then or I don't even know whether the credit card would work in that in your scenario if you've got you know whatever. But um, you'd have to you'd have to go to some lengths to actually buy the kit, make it yourself, and then transition to it slowly. What you can use universal credit for, interestingly is you can use it as to pay the rent of the ground rent. Ah, cool. Have the house and it's then on a piece of land that you have to pay rent for, you can use it to cover that. So um, <coughs> you were to find an open-minded <laughs> entrepreneurial local landowner who would potentially, I don't know, suggest anything illegal, but, um, you know, there might be ways of using that ground rent to enable you to pay that value of that property off over a period of time. What's, what's the rules on planning permission and stuff? Can, can you just do that? Can you just build it anyway? Or do you need to go through quite a lengthy process? Um, it depends on if it's, if it's like on, if it's on your own, if it's on your, like, so if you, if you build it in, the, in someone's garden or something, then basically no you don't need any um because um i think that uh, i think it's supposed to be you might have to sort of be slightly clever with it in the sense that it's supposed to be used as a um something that someone the main household can use there's some issues there but um so no you don't need planning permission to build it but you it's more about where you're going to put it is more the issue so you're okay. it's it's just going to depend on the terms of the land that you that you have but as long as you find land then then you should be fine obviously as long as you find land that has residential purpose then yeah you can use it so or you can risk it have it for seven years and but, then uh, yeah. you're fine <laughs> um so the other main reason for wanting to go to these things uh, is the the sort of desire to live off grid um and tiny homes pre present a kind of cool um because they're small because you living in a much smaller space the amount of energy needed to keep them going is reduced you've got one room ultimately to to heat so people tend to have a solar array either on top of the the house itself or actually seemingly seems to be more common to actually have it to the side in, in the in the best spot um on on the ground um so you use electricity purely to power the house um and then a lot of people seem to have wood burners inside for the sort of winter dealing with needing extra heat because it's just an efficient way of doing it 
obviously you want a source of wood and that sort of stuff and that again depends on the land that you've got if you're trying to sort of live off the land a little bit then you know if you've got, if you've got a local supply of wood then that would be the obvious thing to do mm. um the probably the biggest issue is water um to have like a proper like um underground tank to store rainwater whatever does seem to be quite costly i've seen prices up to ten thousand pounds for just for that alone so um that part seems to be complicated um but there are sort of like intermediary if you again if you've got a water source you've got a local river whatever you can you can go collect it and then just deal with the purification of the water um or you can collect rainwater um and just do it in a slightly more manual way to, to start with that's the kind of thing I like about tiny homes the most is it's sort of like it's it's something that you upgrade. You, you can start quite small. You don't have to go. You don't just have to buy the whole house like we normally do with everything already plumbed in all that sort of stuff. You can go right. Well, I only have twenty thousand, so I'm um, I'm gonna maybe if I've got the skills, I'm gonna start the kit, and I'll get that going. And maybe I'll put I'll find a, like a like a park home equivalent place where I can actually just house the house. I can like, plug it in. And then once you've done that for a couple of years, maybe you move to an, and maybe you buy some land. You can add that on. That's your, a new asset you've got in. So now, now I've bought the land and I own the house and I'm done. I own everything. Um, but now I add on a, um, a solar array or now I add on a water system or whatever. And you can just sort of build on it. And I, and I, and I like that because I can see that as, yeah. a, as, a, as your life progresses, you can mm. sort of just keep reinvesting into into the house, and at, at every given point, you own everything. You're not. Oh, I, I like that too. Yeah. Um, obviously, the biggest issue probably is literally whether can you can you live in that space? Can you live in something so small that um, it is larger just one room? Um, they're quite. Um, so, going to the site, or even the smallest one. Um, the, 2.4 meters usually by 4.8 that sort of that sort of area uh, which mm. is the size of the of the car parking space they they often quite build them quite tall so that they can have a mezzanine and then they just sleep on the on the top half if you like so you got your mm. you've got your your lounge uh, area you've then got your immediately into like your kitchen and your bathroom on the on the ground floor bathroom is quite often like under the stairs uh, the stairs are box storage, um, so like literally no, not an inch is wasted. Uh, like I was watching one of the YouTube videos from um, a series, which I'll, I'll, I'll come back to in a minute, um, and the girl was saying that she even thought about the fact that when you, and sorry to go put this as a topic, but w when you go to the toilet, you don't, people don't tend to sit in the toilet, sit back and sort of, you know, in a relaxed sort of position. They tend to sit forward, and she thought, yeah. well, that's a perfect thing to put directly under the stairs because you don't really need that behind <laughs> there. So it's literally our, our perch on the end. And, and that's, and by the way, toilets are usually compost toilets. So you don't have plumbing because it saves money and compost toilets are not as bad as, as, as you might think. Um, but yeah, literally every single inch of space, every, every time there's a, you, you have a, a table, it's, it's a table that lifts up and has storage underneath. If there's a chair, it's got, it's got sliding, um cupboards underneath it um every single inch is is used but mm. you don't have any stuff and it's all actually quite it's compact but it's not necessarily 
terrible. <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 I like the challenge of that too. Trying to get everything as functional as possible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I can see maybe that'd be very hard. If you had open space around you, you didn't spend all your time in the house, I think that'd be good. Yes. So if you just lived in this, you sleep in it, did some work in it perhaps. But otherwise, you're outside in the open land. Yeah. I think that'd be perfectly okay. Yeah, and you can I probably wouldn't be take you know you put an awning or something so that you can still be outside even when it's raining or that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I think, I think if we if I'm being honest, the, the hardest part to imagine is is having children in there for the noise. Yeah, I don't see that. That would always be the problem of going yeah. having nowhere to escape to when it's too noisy. Now maybe you've just got better tolerance. Maybe it's just because I'm a bloke or something. I don't know. Uh, I would struggle with that. I'm not struggling with anyway, but I would struggle with not being able to uh, have a, a door that I can just go, <sighs> you know, but peace. Uh, noise cancelling headphones. <laughs> that's, that's all you'll have. Not a bad idea. What's that, kid? You ha- you're hungry? Uh, give me an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but, it, but yeah, that's that's really cool. And it uh, kind of makes me think of smaller places like Sweden and Amsterdam, where they have really small, compact apartments. And that's the entire point of Ikea, to be as efficient or as small as possible. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, people must must live this way in an ordinary world. I can't remember what it was, but I remember that I remember seeing, I feel like it was in New York or something, but there was um, a house somewhere where it was, you, you, you walked in the door and there was literally nothing. It was literally just an open thing, like a small hallway. Because ev- everything was behind a cupboard door or a drawer or something, everything. So like even you know he had a he had a full length bed, but he would have to he'd have to pull out a drawer and then he'd have to unravel the thing and then he'd put the pillows on and then that was it. And that was so then he'd have a, his bedroom was then quite a you know reasonably sized bedroom. But then when he woke up, he'd have to ravel that back up and then he could open the doors and pull out the kitchen. Um, and then it just became. The kitchen thing, or we could have a, you know, we could probably fit that and the table, and then so we could have people around. So literally, everything would slide away, and everything would come out. It was very cool. Very cool. That's very, that's very cool. I mean, you would feel like you're in a some sort of padded room most of the time. Well, not I guess you, I guess you would never have it in padded room state, would you? But it'd always be one or the other. But yeah, probably worth not, just in case. <laughs> but um, yeah, so the visits you've seen and the research you've done into tiny homes. What would you say is typically the gender mix? Because I feel maybe this fits more of a male fantasy, perhaps, of being small, functional, closed off, and ideally just dysfunctional. I mean, I don't imagine it being very good to look at. It's not going to be very aesthetic. Hmm. And maybe it's up to the thinker to think that that's a male thing, perhaps. You know, obviously, different people different things, but... Who would you say typically would want to live this way? Um, there's a not so much for the the tiny tiny ones, but the, the the bigger of the tiny houses. Quite often a couple, quite often you know a young couple. Um, but uh, I watched the one. There was one. Um, so the YouTube channel that I have uh, I saw before today's research, but I'm I'm just going to reference it because it's probably the best one. Is a series called Living Big in a Tiny House. Mm. Um, and they, the guy that sort of presents it, I think he's Australian because that's where it all sort of started and he just sort of travels around the world um, doing these things. But uh, 
he did one in I think it was January of this year, and he met a girl in um, Herefordshire, I think it was, um, called Flo, and she was basically a twenty-five-year-old girl who had been doing um, woodwork and bakery and stuff in her in her life anyway, and then she decided one day that she was going to build this house. Now she had access to wood from her dad, and she managed to have a friend who had farmland that she could move into. So, you know, she had, um, she was lucky and she also had a cousin who would help her build the thing. So she had resources available to her, but ultimately she still, you know, blood, sweat and tears and built the house. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess, I guess there isn't a particular, I mean, that, that was just one example. I didn't go looking for it, but the first one I found today was uh, a young lady. So, Yes. Uh, well, the reason, the reason I asked is because um, my father told me a story recently about he's a long distance truck driver and he has two colleagues, uh, one female, one male, mm-hmm. who live in the car park. Oh, right. um, one of the guys aptly named Car Park Kev, who just lives in a van in the car park. And there's also a woman who lives in a van. But she's put plant pots and stuff outside her house to make it a bit more aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. And obviously she was found out to be doing this. That's not allowed. I was kicked out. And I also meant that uh, Car Park Kev also lost his because they found out he was doing it too. Right. So that's what I meant of, I felt as a functional thing, like he seemed to be getting away with the press, but then she didn't. So it kind of felt like maybe she needed more if you know what I mean, a bit more space, a bit more niceties. I see what you mean. Okay, so yeah. that's that's where that that's where I think came from. That's why I was thinking that. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly have seen quite a few men have done it, and they do tend to be more some dull-looking shack <laughs> in the forest, as opposed to this flow woman had she'd upcycled everything she bought. You know, she she found a, a beautiful door that she liked. Um, but it was rotted on the bottom. So she sort of cut the bottom half off and got another door and turned it into like that sort of stable door style thing. And she had stained glass windows, uh, not just normal ones made of polycarbonate. Um, so yeah, everything was was beautifully done. Everything was 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 properly done. Um, so yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess you're not trying to, most people, if you're doing it, the idea is not to try and deceive because that's, probably going to backfire anyway so mm. um, it's finally the right place but the, the probably this the, what seems to be the best way of doing it if you can is to ha- either have uh, either have someone who has the land already or um, we, like a farmer who's just not using a particular bit who says actually you can live over there maybe you'll you know you, you pay a little bit of rent towards them and they're they're quite happy with that so um, he's yeah. at the moment still who you know um, Permission is not is not easy. Um, it's there are there are a few sort of parks popping up from here in in, in around. Um, ones used for like um, homeless people. Uh, they started um, you know erecting little parks with lots of them on it so that they had somewhere to live, um, which mm. is quite a cool concept. Um, but yeah, it's it's not it's few and far between. And if you're if you're going down the road, you're you're going to spend a fair bit of money and buy the land probably going to need to buy it without permission already on it um mm. but in it's 
it's largely the same as getting a house, unfortunately. The, the benefit yeah. of having it on the back of the trailer, obviously, it is then classed as a mobile home, which does change things slightly. And it also has the added benefit that you can actually drive the thing. I mean, some people literally have a house and then drive it around. That's what they do. Yeah. Uh, and that under plan permission would be allowed as well, I believe. If you bought some land that didn't have residential rights, unless he was applying for those rights, you are allowed to live on that land in something that's movable, like motorhome or a caravan, until you have those rights to build something permanent. Yes. So hypothetically, if you just wanted to live in a caravan, then just live in a caravan and you're perfectly fine. Yeah. So yeah. It's um uh, I'm uh, yeah. The more I looked into it today, the more I sort of fell in love with the idea. Really. So when's it happening? When's it happening? Where? When when are you gonna move? <laughs> yeah. Um. Don't know. I mean, I I did sort of you know sort of as a theoretical approach started looking at you know what land would what could I where could I go? Um. Uh, and I found. Literally, in in terms of you know, like not wanting to spend more than if you if you try and find buy some land that already has permission to build on it, you're looking at a hundred, two hundred thousand pounds just for that. So yeah, it goes almost to show you just how little the house is actually worth when you buy a house. <laughs> you buy you know a, a plot for two hundred thousand pounds is probably a reasonable amount. That's just it's just the land. Um, but yeah, I found like uh, there was a there was a, a commercial property or it was previously had been used as a commercial property on a residential bit. Um, and it was basically dilapidated, useless, um, the sort of thing you go in and just knock it down and put something new in. But a, a tiny house would fit quite nicely in this little space. And you still have a little bit of space for garden if you wanted to type thing. Uh, and that was selling for, um, I think it was 10,000. Nice. Um, so what, thirty five thousand sorted? I mean, it's, yeah, it's plausible. It is plausible. And then uh, I found an, an another one which was um, it was just like the the like a woodland area on the edge of a residential place, and that was sort of I can't remember what exactly it was, but somewhere between ten and twenty thousand. Um, but that's one that you know the sort of place where you, as you say, you could sort of move in in your uh, temporary mobile home. Uh, while you apply for permission to to build something more if you wanted to um yeah so yeah i like the idea more a bit more bit more woodland yes and so there we can you know we can co-invest yeah that was actually (laughs) well um maybe maybe it's worth sharing with uh, people listening watching that we have been down this road before we have looked at Woodland before, and we did find some decent prices, only in Wales, but we did find some decent prices for a good couple of acres of Woodland. Yeah. Um, again, there's no residential rights, you'd have to apply for those, but yeah, we did research this, we did look into it, and yeah, I think we were we were pretty close to going ahead with something, but... One day. Maybe, maybe realism, go ahead, go ahead. Go home because I have a family. You have a son, so it's kind of yeah. We could do it. <laughs> Maybe yeah. they couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, but see, I I I feel like there's there's going to be someone's going to figure out um, 
how to make it so that people can rent a tiny house for the same amount of money they rent a normal house because obviously you would expect to pay less right um yeah space but i feel like someone's going to figure out how to go right well actually most people can spend a lot of people, you know seven to a thousand pounds a month is quite common for most places i think i'm not sure about maybe different in wales but um but to put it in the 500 sort of 600 area but just have it for longer where you can ultimately buy that buy the house but just over you're there for five years ten years even um mm. on a monthly rate and then if you if you do it for that long eventually you will own the house and then you can you know, drive it away take it somewhere else if you want to I feel like that's a, a business model that will eventually arrive in the UK. Yeah, that'd be very nice. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose the laws are quite draconian still in how you can live on the land. I think Wales and Scotland are a bit more free compared to England. Yeah. But yeah, we're still very much locked down. You can't just live anywhere. Which is a bit of a shame. I suppose America and Australia make sense because... I mean, I'm not sure why tiny houses exist in Australia because it's absolutely massive and so uninhabited. <laughs> you could live anywhere and no one would probably ever know. Well, the weird thing is I quite often see them and they're not in, you know, you think tiny houses are great for not when you haven't got much space, but quite often see them on what seems to be very large plots of land <laughs> out in the country. Well, Thing. My, t- my, my tiny house on my hundred acres yeah it's, it's weird but um i guess maybe it's, it's just partly the filming and there certainly has been some people that go well that's my parents house um and you know we wanted our, our own space so we we live here at the end of the garden why not i suppose um but yeah. as a starting point you know maybe if you're you know if you're young and, you, and your, your parents do have a quite a large thing but you you want to you want that independence you know you might be able to do a little deal with you parents say look I'll, I'll live out in the garden for 12 months so i can save up some money and then yeah pay get, some rent yeah a feeling of living on my own and not living you know but still i have my own space still being able to save money and then yeah on. I, I don't know what it is maybe it's a bit more of a something in our generation where i feel like i want to test myself a bit more and to live in a small tiny home uh, not be plugged into the mains, you know, have to get my own water, have to heat my home, have to figure out when I can watch the TV and, the, and use the kettle at the same time and, and you know, figure those things out. Kind of, I don't know, I, I, I like the challenge of that. I mean, it'll definitely, one of those things I imagine will probably get old fast, but you, know, you never know until you do it. I quite like the challenge of it. I think for me, it's more... I'm, I'm a, I am a bit of a sucker for, for a middle finger at convention. Um, and yeah, <laughs> the, just when you think about mortgages and how very bad, I mean, just the, the fact that you spend 350,000 on a, on a 250,000 pound house, because that's how much interest costs. And it's like, well, but we're all we're all brought up well i know from a, a being an 80s baby that seems to be the that's how it works you know you, you, you the ultimate goal is to own your own house you ain't going to do that until about 60 years old so what you do is you buy you buy a house and then you just keep paying it every year and you work in the same job every year 
And then at some point you go, actually, that's not big enough now. I need another house. So then you carry on the process and you build it and you do eventually, eventually you own the damn thing. And then your kids grow up and then they leave and then you live stuck in a house that was too big. And then you think, oh, now I'm going to downsize it. That's generally what we all do. And it's like, well, that's, it's almost like, and on the other hand, I was told, you know, to never, um, to, to, to try and stay with what, what you can afford. But yet when it came to houses, we didn't, we didn't follow that mentality. We always bought something that we definitely could not afford um, in the hope that we would, afford, we would eventually buy it. So why don't we buy smaller houses, live in those, and then if you end up making way more money, fine, buy a bigger house if that's what you want. But buy it, buy it outright. Don't, don't buy it before you can afford mm. it. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very good point. I, I think, yeah, same kind of growing up thinking of mortgages and student debt as not debt that they're kind of like separate entities like, like oh yeah you can, you're gonna pay for you to yeah gonna pay for you to great uni yeah that's that's not real debt you yeah that's fine right. you gotta, gotta pay that stuff back <laughs> but uh like mortgage it's like yeah it's not really debt it's 30 years man it's fine <laughs> yeah it's just a really big bit of debt if you said, you said that hundred thousand pound house, right? The hundred thousand pound interest that you lost over the over the period of your life, you lost a hundred thousand um, pounds. I mean, if we're being uh, if we're being conservative, let's say we can earn we could put aside five thousand a year. Is that is that too high? I don't know what's. Some people obviously that's going to be five hundred, a thousand, whatever. But it just depends on, on on where you are in 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 your in your life and stuff. But um let's say it's 5,000, even that's, that's 20 years worth of your, all your savings. Yeah. And you could have gone, well, that's that year. I'm going to buy a solar PV thing. And then next year I'm going to buy. I, don't know. I mean, if you had 5k a year in, in a tiny house. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That feels exciting. It's like yeah. for, Chris, for Christmas, I'm going to buy myself. Yeah, I can find myself a new boiler I want it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once you're in the thing and your rent is, I don't, I, I was unable to find out because it's not a very common thing. I couldn't find out an average sort of ground rent to pay. Um, it does, like I said, it does seem to be who you know. Um, but one would, one would presume the cost of that would be very low. Uh, yeah, I think it depends where you go. If you go to more residential places where they have caravans, lodges, camper vans allowed on site, you're looking at about 200, 250 quid. Basically, council tax plus 100 quid normally. But is that places where you're also plugged in? Yes. If you think of just on land itself, I suppose it's a completely discretion of the person who's there. Because going off grid, the other, if you, if you, if you need to be plugged in, obviously massively makes a difference because you have to have plumbing put in for your gas and your water yeah. compared to if you're able to have a off-grid system you can literally as long as you can find suitable um uh usage of land that you can go anywhere you like so i would i think I would, yeah I, I might i might use the plumbing in system as a as a, a means get myself to that point but i would definitely be going off grid as soon as it was possible to do so as soon as i could fall to the system yeah i mean arguably i think water off grid is probably the easiest one because especially in britain especially in wales where water is very plentiful right now 
I mean, based on last week's charts, you know, the water will dry up by 2030 and we're all dead, et cetera. That'll obviously get harder. But right now, yeah, very plentiful, anywhere near a river, and you're basically an unlimited source of water for everything you need. Um, there are sometimes some regulations on taking water from a river, but can be. Yeah, not, not so much in Wales, I don't think. Maybe somewhere else. Depends, I suppose, where that river goes, uh, where it's come from. Um, yeah, water I don't see as much of an issue as you said, compost toilet doesn't use any water showers and stuff I mean, I suppose you're going to be having a flannel wash and yeah, I mean, I like a shower so I mean, I, the, uh, one, would, one you, would you get would you get a gym membership? <laughs> uh, well, yes, you could Again, I, you know, it, again, it depends on the level. If you want to live out in the middle of the sticks, and you probably don't want to venture down to the gym to go and have a to have a wash, but um, um, but yeah, there's one system which is just basically a essentially electric heated power shower thingy, which takes a couple of batteries. Ultimately, you just get a bucket of water at the bottom end. It does the rest. Um, the um, that that girl Flo who had her own thing, she she even well, it wasn't about saving money. Actually, it was about um, headspace. Because you've obviously haven't got hers in her case was underneath her bedroom, so she had a very limited uh, headspace. She couldn't find a shower head that had uh, a low enough profile for her to stand underneath it. So they literally got a copper pipe running along the top, and then they drilled holes in it. And it apparently, well, it, they showed it on on the video it works really well. Um, yeah, I will put the link to that YouTube channel and that particular video in case you want to watch that one um, at the bottom. Uh, because yeah, I, I, I do so yeah inspiring. <laughs> done it's amazing and I, I think and I and how they've reused the space as well like like you know a step is a, is a table because it's like well if I'm eating then I need a table but if I'm going to bed then I move the table and put the table away and the table putting away happens to be a step which gets me up to the bedroom so it's just when you think things through of what you actually need there is an awful lot of stuff in your house which is like when you're not using it, it's just a waste. I mean, I always, I've, I've, been, I've mm. talked about it before, sofas, sofas that don't have storage in annoy me because it's just like they're this massive thing that lives in your house and it, its entire purpose is just to lift you off the floor and make you slightly comfortable. Um, and yet all that space underneath your bum is not used. Mm. And then we have this, we have this permanent place that you can go to sleep, which, you know, even in tiny houses, they often still do, but you only use it when you're, when you're knocked out and unconscious. <laughs> well, sometimes other things, but um, generally speaking, you don't use it most of the day. You only use it at nighttime. Like if it's those, those beds where they can fold up and then become a desk or whatever. I think, I just think they're, it's cool. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I, I think this, the designs I've seen, I mean, even most of IKEA things are, are very smart, and how they utilise small spaces. Yeah, yeah, I, I do really like the idea of it. Kind of, kind of envious that I'm not at a stage in my life where I can just go and do this. I kind of could. I mean, like I said, as you, as I've said many times, I, I live in a sort of <laughs> sound of comfort every time I say it. But I, um, I live on the top floor my amount of space I have is that I haven't actually worked it out, but um, it's, it's 
probably yeah it's, it's bigger than a tiny house but it's it's not much bigger than a tiny house i have you know in, in this in this small space um i have you know the bedroom the lounge the office and a and the bathroom i don't have the kitchen that sort of stuff so that would be something i really spend but i could looking around i could entirely imagine that i could fit in everything i needed in, in just a small space so uh i think i'm gonna sort of uh prove to myself i'm gonna make some changes to this room i think and prove to myself that um i can definitely live in this space if not smaller i mean um just this room here i used to my first thought was up i'll put the sofa at the back put the tv up on the wall you know big open space all very nice but then i was like well when i'm sat down tv i really don't need there to be a huge gap between me and the TV. Uh, what does that, what does that, what purpose does that really serve? Obviously you don't want to be really close, but equally I don't need to be that far. So I basically squished everything right down. So there's literally like a, you know, a meter gap between me and the, and the TV left all this space behind, which my son uses as a, as a, as a play area. So I've already mm -hmm. done a few times uh, here. Uh, what's out there is, is a hallway, which other people would probably have just put on, a, you know, side table or something and i've got one actually no i'm gonna i've put a full length desk all the way along it so it's it's my office but it's actually just a whole way to the staircase yeah yeah i suppose you've got experience in this too because in your last place you practiced living in a small space where you well, lived yes, in the I, living room i did I, I had a i had a very big size house and i did only use half of the space uh, just to see what it was like uh yeah I, and i've also actually i have actually lived not for very i was probably about less than six months i think might might about three or four months in a static caravan i've had that experience too and do you know what it was very nice I mean, you stayed in a static caravan didn't you um i mean i would say millions of people every year choose to go to a static caravan for on holidays so i would say there's nothing wrong with that and i did it in winter as well and it was fine <laughs> I was in dead of winter, um, and it was. I mean, in place of that, I think that you had um. You had unlimited uses of of the, of the gas and stuff. So, like, we you know we didn't have trouble with that. We just kept the heating on if we needed it, type thing. Um, yeah. But I actually found that nice. Like it was, you know, you someone was cooking and you're sat in the lounge or whatever. It was kind of, it was kind of nicer than it is here, where everyone's in a different room someone's cooking in the kitchen on their own it's actually slightly more had a community spirit thing of, of actually being in the same room and oh, i thought it's great yeah no that'd be amazing so yeah yeah we, so yeah, that'd be my act if you suddenly go oh what's your your, your background's changed like yes this is my tiny house <laughs> you're currently uh, i mean please please do it because that this sounds amazing and i basically want to live my dreams of doing that through you. Right, okay. Because so, <laughs> I, I can't do that. And I suppose a lot of people listening to this can't do it either. Um, but they would love to. But, so for um, those who do, I, I, feel, I feel the same pain. Uh, but um, there, you know, there are a number of families that have done, not necessarily, I'm sure there are some houses that have done tiny houses, but even just smaller ones um you know shipping container or having two shipping containers side by side it's still you can still do a, a number of the okay maybe you can't drive your 
your house around with you, but in terms of owning a smaller plot of land, um, coming up with a different design that isn't bricks and mortar, but uses shipping containers or whatever, you absolutely could do that. Yeah. So don't rule it out, Craig. It's not over for you. Yeah. It is until the kids grow up, I think. You reckon? It's that noise, isn't it? You can't cope with the idea of them being that close to you. They're not being that close. Uh, not so much the noise. That I mean, for the, I mean the, wa- <laughs> the wife already, already complains this house is too small. I'm like, mm-hmm. I spend most of my time in my office, which I would say is about 12 by 12. Yeah. So you, I, you I could, I could live in this space. I got, a, I got a portable stove up here with a bit of gas that lasts me at least a year. <laughs> I, I could live in here. Wow. Maybe you should try it for a week or something. And I think, like, as you see in my office, I've got glass windows here. So that makes this room feel two, three times the size it actually is. Yeah. And that really, really helps. So in a tiny house, if one of your walls was basically glass, it really wouldn't feel small. As long as you could put shutters on them so that you didn't... Oh, yeah. You need some sort of shutter system. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was my topic. Um, I might have got carried away more with the dream than I did with perhaps giving me enough information. So, um, but obviously if you want to hear more about it, then I'm, I'm more than happy to answer your questions. Um, uh, stop talking to you, Craig. I don't know if you have applies to YouTube. If anyone else has any questions, uh, I, I know planning permission is, is a, is one I could go into a lot more depth because there are lots of sort of weird things, but I, I don't want to confuse people too much. Um, but if you have more questions on that one, then. Uh, I will do my best to answer. Uh, yeah, and also it depends on the area you live. There's so many different rules. Um, there was a book which I believe was recommended for people looking to do this. Um, I can't remember what it was called, but it was a person who's got a plan permission book together of all the places to put your postcode in and it tells you what you need to do. Cool. If you, can find that, find that. you can show that in the link as well below. Cool. Yeah. Good. Uh, good dream. Please do it. I'll get around to that. Okay. Right. Well, in that case, I think we're done. So only left to say, other than throwing something across the room, uh, is this, is to remind everyone to think, educate and act. And, uh, we'll catch you next time. Yep. Goodbye.